Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Voices of SUD, Let's Grow Together, a pilot podcast brought to you by Southeast Addiction Technology Transfer Center Network, better known as SATTC, where we discuss topics on substance use resources and research, challenges in the addiction workforce, workforce development for young professionals, the millennial, services and support for minority women, treatment and recovery for vulnerable populations such as the homeless, migrant, and incarcerated, faith community strategies, and the evolution of SUDs. Welcome and stay tuned. Hello, guys, and happy 2021. I know we are super excited to get into this year as 2020 was just utterly out of this world. Unprecedented was the word that I think was used the most in 2020. But welcome to 2021 with SATTC and our podcast, The New Voice of SUD, Let's Grow Together. Again, I'm Celine, and I will be moderating this year as well. And to the end of our season, we are on a roll. We are our on episode four, so we broke for um, the holidays, and we're back. Um, and this is addiction, equity, and policy progression. And so we have our own from Morehouse School of Medicine in the National Center for Primary Care, who is the director of health policy for, Nat, um, for NCPC, Megan Douglas, who is a JD, and she is also an assistant professor in the Department of Community Health and Preventive Medicine at MSM. So we love to have our own on the podcast to share some of the work. Megan Megan is a licensed attorney whose research focuses mostly on how laws and policies can be used to improve health and eliminate health disparities. So that, of course, is a topic of ours. She has been working really, really heavily um, on a lot of her joint partnerships, specifically the one we'll talk about today, which is with the South Satcher Health Leadership Institute's Health Policy Leadership Fellowship Program at MSM and the Georgia Leadership Education um, at Georgia State. Um, and so we'll be talking today specifically about the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act, the MHPAEA. And we have a collaboration with Kennedy Satcher Center for Mental Health Equity um, at the Satcher Health Leadership Institute. And so we um, went into deep and we'll go in deeper. Um, we had a review of that you know, policy and the 10th anniversary. So we went over all of that. And so we definitely wanted to lay you all down with some basics. So we'll talk basics too um, when it comes to addiction equity policy. So stay tuned and um, thanks for listening again. Happy New Year. Alrighty, so thank you guys. You heard that great introduction. So thanks, Megan. We really appreciate it. And you are one of our own from the National Center for Primary Care at Morehouse School of Medicine. So thank you so much for letting a cousin talk to a cousin, if I would say. Um, but we always want to start off because some of our listeners are part of the young millennials and young professional uh, population. And that I was telling you that I am biased to that population as I am one of those um, young professionals who's always looking to hear what are, um, you know, what are the other options for careers in the field of mental health, behavioral health, addiction, substance use. So just start off by really just telling us um, what you're doing right now. Um, I know they just heard your introduction, but um, what you're doing right now, what um, what's your focus are, what you kind of are working and leaning towards in the next maybe two years, three years um, down the line? Sure. 
Um, and I am just outside of that millennial category, but I have to agree with your, your bias for that, for that group. I love working. I love working with you all and, and millennials and wish I could consider myself one still, but, um, uh, <laughs> not, not quite. Um, uh, and I think it's really exciting to see young people, um, coming into the, coming into the research, um, profession, academia, public health, um, just brings lots of new ideas um, and different ways of thinking about the, the research that we've done traditionally. So i um, really excited to be here and thanks for having me. Sure. Um, I guess I will talk a little bit about um, my background of being an attorney and, you know, kind of being, being in this um, substance use prevention space. Um, it really started my, my interest has been there for a long time, but I, and I've always been focused on what do, you know, what is the role of laws and policies to improve health and reduce health disparities? That's my, been my research focus for many years, but in 20, 2018, early 2018, had an opportunity to start looking at the role that laws and policies play with regard to behavioral health generally and access to care. Um, and the role that insurance coverage plays. That was really the policy lever that I started looking at then. Um, and this was an opportunity to work with um, the Satcher Health Leadership Institute had just started a partnership with Patrick Kennedy. Um, and, and we started the, the Kennedy Satcher Center for Mental Health Equity. And they were very interested in, you know, what, what do laws around insurance coverage have to do with improving outcomes for people with behavioral health issues? So in 2018, it was the 10th anniversary of the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act, which is the federal law that really made a lot of progress for improving insurance coverage for people with mental health conditions and substance use disorders. Um, so we did an analysis looking at the state laws, uh, found lots of problems with the state laws and, and some, some silver linings as well. Um, but that, that project uh, in 2018, looking, looking at those state laws, um, really started my, 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 the last few years of my work looking further at uh, these laws and specifically related to mental health and then specifically related to substance use disorders. Awesome. So, of course, um, some of our listeners might be familiar with me, some are not. Um, but, you know, I'm going to ask you about what some of the silver linings versus some of the areas, I'll say areas for improvement or challenges that some of the states, I would, um, I'm curious, I, of course, um, did my research before talking with you, but let us know what, who, who was in hot water or maybe not as good as they needed to be. <laughs> we would love to know that firsthand. Um, you know, what was the, what was the landscape as far as when you all were checking this out? Sure. Uh, and I think, you know, before we start digging into the details of this sure. discussion, it's really important to make sure that we're using some of the same language. Yes. And I just want to make sure that, you know, parody is, a relatively simple um, concept, but mm -hmm. it can become very complicated and very in the weeds. Quickly. I agree. And I, I, agree. <laughs> I tend to get into the weeds. I like the weeds. Um, but I know for people that, that uh, might be listening and less familiar with the concept, let's talk about that first. Okay. So parity is a concept that means, you know, equal, um, 
in general. So when we're we're applying the, the concept of parity to insurance coverage, um, this is something that just requires insurance plans to cover treatment for mental health conditions and substance use disorders on the same terms and conditions as other medical conditions. Amen. So historically, <laughs> yes, historically, we saw lots of differences in how insurance covered those behavioral health conditions mm-hmm. as opposed to other medical conditions. For example, you might pay $20 for your copay to go see your primary care um, physician or a specialist. Uh, you may have had to pay $50 for your copay to go see your therapist. Um, so that's just a, a very common example of where there was no parity. Mm-hmm. So the federal law um, tried to incorporate and, and mandated that insurance plans, large group insurance plans. So for people that have insurance coverage through their employers, primarily um, that they had to have provide equal coverage. Um, so that was huge. That was that was groundbreaking. It took decades and some other laws in you know prior to to the twenty two thousand eight law um, to to finally get to parity. Um, but so the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act of two thousand eight that was that was the really big one. Um, then we saw that the Affordable Care Act also made some pretty significant changes Mm -hmm. um, to other types of insurance plans, individual market. This was not only mandated that plans in the individual market um, have parity, but also that they have to provide coverage for behavioral health conditions, which is another step that the 2008 law didn't even take. Uh, so as as you can see, we're getting into the weeds pretty quickly here. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay. Well, I, I'm, we're following you. We're following you. Okay, Making good. it simple. Um, so I just mentioned a couple of those federal laws, and then what we did in 2018 with the 10 year anniversary of the 2008 parity law was look at the state laws. Right. So insurance coverage also very complex. The federal government can regulate certain types of plans and then state governments can regulate other types of plans. So we wanted to look at what was going on in the states. How are they regulating the plans that they have regulatory authority over? So that usually involves, it does involve some of the large group. So some of the employer sponsored coverage. Mm -hmm. Um, States also have a major role in individual plans um, state employee health benefit plans, and they have a huge role in Medicaid um, and, and how Medicaid is implemented at the state level. So we started digging into these state laws, and for that 2018 report, um, we found that 32 of the states failed according to our criteria for assessing um, the comprehensiveness of the state laws. So we, we assess the state laws across 10 different categories, 10 different factors that we knew were an indication of good comprehensive coverage mm-hmm. for behavioral health conditions. And that's, that's where we found that the 32 states failed. So mm-hmm. to your question about, you know, where were the, where were the big gaps? Mm-hmm. Lots of big gaps, really national. Everywhere, okay. Um, we, did, <laughs> we did find that there was one state, Illinois, that had just passed a very comprehensive law. It was kind of the model law for the, okay. for the nation at okay. the time. Um, and they got, 
they were the only state to get 100% oh, wow. grade A, A plus on our, um, on our scoring. And then we saw, you know, a handful of states um, that did get Bs and Cs, um, but, but the majority of the states did fail. Mm. Uh, the the <laughs> biggest areas that we saw, um, you know, problems were how, how states were defining mental health and, and substance use disorders okay. and their laws and really whether they were even enforcing the laws. Okay. So those, those, that's kind of high level, um, what we found there. What do you feel was their, um, well, what was their definition of mental health or what was included? And then what, um, what do you feel? What was the, what was the, what was the problem with that? Where, where did we find that was wrong or a needed improvement? Sure. Um, so this is, this is a big issue. And, and since we did this initial work, we have continued to dig into this. So mm-hmm. I'll talk a little bit about, about where we are now too. Um, but the federal laws that, uh, we talked about do not define the behavioral health conditions that insurance plans are required to cover. Okay. Um, so what happens is that they leave the definitions of the conditions to the insurance plans themselves, mm, which means that the insurance plans can then decide what conditions are covered and what conditions are not. There are some guardrails in the federal laws that that try to you know mm-hmm. um, make sure that those uh, conditions are that they're using some kind of evidence based approach mm-hmm. to define conditions, but um, it, they don't get specific. Where we see the specifics are in the state laws. Um, we saw that. The laws that got more points um, for our assessment had more inclusive definitions of behavioral health conditions. Some some states define mental health conditions separately from um, substance use disorders. But in general, where a state defined either one of those as including all conditions in the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual, which is the um, you know the evidence the DSM mm-hmm. the evidence based. Um, guidance for, you know, clinicians to identify and diagnose um, behavioral health conditions. So Mm -hmm. we identified that as really the gold standard by states saying that coverage had to uh, include all conditions in the DSM that includes substance use disorders and all mental health conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, Historically, before um, we really had the, the parity laws in place, and even even since we've had the parity laws in place, that has been a problem where, you know, in particular, and, and really highlighted by people with autism, mm, and okay. insurance plans excluding coverage for treatment of autism. Oh, wow. And also eating disorders um, is another is another category that insurance plans had hist- historically excluded. Mm-hmm. So state laws that defined with that all inclusive DSM definition, um, required coverage for those those conditions. Now we also saw that some states had a list of the conditions that had to be covered. And those were most commonly the um, the, the most common mental health conditions. So it would the, the state law might list out, you know, bipolar disorder, depression, schizophrenia. Um, schizoaffect- mm-hmm. Yep, schizophrenia. Um, but then when a state does that in their definition, that potentially excludes everything that is not listed. Right. So that was kind of the second tier of at least the state defines and requires coverage for these, these you know, most common and severe conditions, but potentially excludes a lot of conditions as well. 
and we didn't see substance use disorders as um, commonly included in that list as some of these other mental health conditions. And we also rarely saw anything related to eating disorders, mm. sometimes about autism. Um, another way that states would define is by um, excluding certain conditions and substance use disorders were a more common condition that they would specifically exclude. So they, their parity laws would require coverage for mental health conditions, but not substance, substance use disorders. Mm. Um, I'm going to fast forward to some of the more recent work that we've been sure. doing since the 2018. I mentioned we have been, been getting even more into the weeds with some of this. Mm -hmm. um, we have now done assessments of the state laws specifically to how they cover mental health and how they cover substance use disorders. Um, and so we have a lot more legal data on the differences in these state laws. And we also went back in time. Okay. So the, the, the report that we did in 2018, we just looked at what was the status of the state laws at that time, um, effective January 1, 2019 is our date. Now we have gone back for mental health conditions to 1997. Okay. So we have seen okay. how the state laws have evolved over time from 1997 until 2020. Okay. And for substance use disorders, we went back to 2006. Why the and difference? I've seen, so the difference for the mental health um, parity or mental health insurance laws data set, uh, we are working with some colleagues at Augusta University and have some preliminary research findings um, linking the laws and the comprehensiveness of the laws related to mental health mm -hmm. to a longitudinal survey of people um, who were interviewed as children, their oh. parents were interviewed. Okay. Did they have any social or emotional issues? Okay. Had they been um, exposed to adverse childhood experiences, which we know are associated with mental health um, conditions as adults? Mm -hmm. um, and then they were interviewed as adults. Um, have you seen, uh, have you received mental health treatment? And um, we're really excited. We are in the process of getting our manuscripts reviewed. Um, so we'll, we'll have more updates hopefully in the next few months on this. But preliminarily, we found that there is an association with stronger state laws and um, better outcomes as adults so excited and that's really why we create the legal data in this way to begin with is so that we can do this evaluation research to say what is why why is it important what is the effect on outcomes of having stronger laws yeah yeah i think um i think parity i, I when i was viewing the paritytrack.org and um you know really just talking about how parity is a human rights issue um, and I know people don't like to get in the weeds when it comes to the law or policy or let's go down to the Capitol. I know I've advocated for reproductive justice, but never for parity issues. Um, and you can get in the weeds when it comes to the specifics because it comes down to like a billing and coding issue really <laughs> more so. Um, but for listeners to really understand that if reimbursement rates for mental health and substance use providers are way lower than other medical um, providers, um, then they won't participate in these kind of more so the Affordable Health Care Act are these more accessible networks and it'll be more of a private kind of entity and i think 
that comes to a health equity thing. A lot of um, underserved or underinsured, like we do at MSM and NCPC, um, if they're providers out of network, then they're not going to see treatment. And it's going to be like super, super unaffordable price gouged or whatever, because they can make up whatever and it's private. So I think for me, that's the importance of parity. And I know that word is so... Um, you know, like, what is it? Uh, but I think that begins the bigger point of it being more of a substance use, behavioral health, just human rights issue in general, because of how that layered approach is like, I don't want to talk about the billing of coding of how mental health and prof- SUD professionals are really getting paid. But it has a really deep effect on, um, you know, persons that are trying to seek treatment. Um, I think that's important, especially when you're not able to afford treatment because it's just too out of reach. Um, yeah, yeah. What, um, I know that you, you, you were saying that you all have finished a little bit more on the mental health side. Um, but what, um, what can you share or what can our preliminary or maybe a teaser for us so we can follow a little bit? Um, I know I've gotten more in health policy as I've gotten more into my public health kind of journey and career path. What can you um, share with us as of the researcher, what you've seen or what you are looking to see when it comes to the addiction side of um, the parity, uh, you know, the parity law, especially when it comes to Addiction Equity Act? Sure. Uh, and this is this is really exciting and, and definitely the, the newest of the research that we've talked about. Um, so we learned so much about how state laws regulate insurance from the 2018 report and then the, the mental health um, research that we did and really saw some interesting ways that states and state laws treat substance use disorders differently. We mm-hmm. saw, you know, just anecdotally, we observed that um, I, what I already mentioned, states would define substance use disorder um, very differently uh, from how they would define mental health conditions. Um, we also saw that some states have separate statutes, laws, um, just related to insurance coverage for substance use disorders. Um, and sometimes that was just as comprehensive as the insurance coverage requirements for mental health conditions, but sometimes it wasn't. And we saw, we saw trends in, you know, there were specific laws, especially older laws that were re- required insurance coverage for treatment of alcoholism, mm-hmm. but no other substances. Oh, no. Um, Now (laughs) we are seeing more trends that are specific to opioid use disorders, um, but no other, no other conditions as well. Yeah. Um, And and we know uh, we don't, we don't have to get into the long history of the, you know, racial and ethnic disparities and how drugs have been treated. um, But, Mm -hmm. you know, that was definitely a red flag for us to, that we needed to dig deeper um, in seeing state laws specific to opioid use disorders, but not potentially other conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we did for substance use disorders, um, and, and we also, sorry, going backwards just a little bit, we also realized that, you know, the, the work we had done before, we were really just looking at commercial insurance. Yep. So being able to look at Medicaid, and knowing that Medicaid programs, there's a lot of variation across states and how they are implemented, and a lot to do uh, with treating substance use disorders. Yep. So we wanted to make sure that we were more inclusive of the types of insurance plans. Um, again, with the Affordable Care Act changes too, we wanted to look at the individual market. So our substance use disorder legal data, um, we look at 
the commercial insurance market. We look at the state employee health benefit um, market. And then we also look at Medicaid. So a lot of states have those different regulations in different parts of their laws. Mm -hmm. So that required us to do a much more broad scope of what we're looking at. And our plan for that um, legal data is to be able to identify the percent of state populations that have insurance coverage by race and ethnicity before and after the Affordable Care Act. So we will be able to say in the state of Georgia before the Affordable Care Act, 60% of the population um, would have had substance use disorder coverage after the Affordable Care Act that may have gone up to 75%. But I think we're going to be able to have some interesting comparisons for states that expanded Medicaid since Mm -hmm. Georgia did not expand Medicaid and many of the the states in the Southeast um, did not. We are going to continue to see those gaps in people who are uninsured but would be eligible for Medicaid if they lived in an expansion state. And then they therefore would have coverage for substance use disorder treatment mm-hmm. in non-expansion states. They will still not have coverage. So, so with that, and, and definitely we'll wrap up in a few, what, um, what are, I guess, would there be any implications for those states that didn't expand like for patients or prospective people who are trying to seek treatment um are there any resources any um you know implications any you know alternatives um to be able to you know use this parity law or is you know because i hate would hate to think that it was just like all lost for hope um because we didn't expand in a lot of the southeast states sure you know i i think so medicaid expansion um is somewhat of a fluid concept. We did see, you know, the initial states that expanded as soon as they were able to in 2014. Um, we have since seen several states and even some South, South Eastern states um, expand in other ways through waivers. Um, Georgia's Medicaid expansion waiver, which is a partial expansion, but it, it will inc- uh, increase the population covered by Medicaid was just approved by CMS. Okay. Um, now, what is CMS? Very, very recently by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. So that's the federal partner for the Medicaid program. Mm-hmm. Um, with each of the states, they have to approve any um, changes to state Medicaid programs. And that's what a waiver is. We are, we, are, uh, we proposed to, to expand Medicaid the Georgia way and CMS just recently, very okay. recently approved that. Um, so we will be increasing the population covered by Medicaid. Some, some considerations right now, uh, the Affordable Care Act is in front of the Supreme Court again um, yeah. in just a few days. We will be hearing oral arguments again about the Affordable Care Act. So yeah. if the Supreme Court were to say that the Affordable Care Act as a whole is unconstitutional, uh, that would have massive effects across all of the states. Yeah, we would be going um, about back about 20 years, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's definitely one thing to pay attention to. Um, the other, you know, the other big thing to pay attention to, uh, obviously, we are in the midst of an election. So when we... It, Ooh, when tell me we about have, it, Megan. <laughs> uh, new, uh, a new administration um, taking over 
or in DC um, or not. You know, there are a lot of, of um, you know, potential consequences either way mm-hmm. with that uh, too. But, you know, I think there is always an opportunity for advocacy. And that that's another reason why it was interesting to look at the state level. So with the 2018 report, we created state report cards at the individual level for advocates okay. at the state level to take to their legislators awesome. and say, hey, we got an F in our state, and here are some concrete ways that we can improve our law to get a better grade. Okay, uh, That was part of the strategy behind grading, because that is also something that states are competitive with each other, and they don't want to get an, uh, you know, a bad F. grade. Um, <laughs> I think we underestimated the, the impact that grading the states would have, but mm-hmm. it, did, it did have a big impact. And we saw a lot of changes to state legislation um, after all of these advocacy efforts. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for young people, for, you know, people who are affected with substance use disorders or have family members affected. To advocate. Um, you are the strongest advocates. You are who legislators are going to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I would love to believe and 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 know that, that the data and the research that we're doing is going to drive <laughs> policy change, which it does. It's it does. very important yeah, too. It does. But it's the stories and it's the yes. people's personal experiences to be able to, to go to a lawmaker and say, yeah, I agree. We need a better law because this is what I experienced or this is what my family member experienced and, and it's a problem. Um, so I think there's a lot of silver linings and a lot of opportunity for continued advocacy. Awesome. Okay, so with that and probably one of our last questions, what um, what does advocacy look like on its basic level? Someone who's just walking onto the playing field, someone who could say, I just became a peer support specialist or someone who has, um, you know, you know, experienced the SUD currently or, you know, in long-term recovery, what are their first steps into advocacy? Because it would seem intimidating to me to walk up to a federal building or a Capitol, especially if I'm a person that's, you know, underserved and, you know, a minority that may have been, you know, just as involved when it comes to my substance use disorder. How how does advocacy look for a person who's just new on that landscape and not a, a Esquire like yourself? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, no, I, I totally, I get that. And I agree. And it it's intimidating until you actually do it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's surprisingly easy. And it always amazes my, you know, students or community members that we go up to the Capitol for the first time and they talk to their elected official and it always surprises them how, you know, these are, these are people too. They, they put the pants on one leg at a time. Uh, they ex- have family members, they have experiences just like all of us. And, and it actually is becomes much less intimidating once you have that first conversation with an elected official. And I s- suggest that you have that conversation as a, person or as a constituent first, you know, get, introduce yourself, let them know, you know, who you are, what you do. Policymaking and advocacy is all about relationships. Yes. So before, you know, and and I recognize that sometimes the situation does not allow you to do this, but Mm -hmm. get to know your elected officials, um, establish that relationship so that then when you are going to tell them, we need to change this law or we need to do something better. They already know you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are many situations where you do go up and you have your advocacy ask and you don't know the person that you're talking to 
But when you can make that relationship and build that relationship over time, you will see more success. Mm-hmm. Um, I also suggest finding finding your people, finding your people who your tribe. are part of an advocacy, your tribe, who are already part of an advocacy organization in your state, in your community, um, in your county. You know, we have, there are lots of organizations that are national organizations that have local chapters or there are local local community organizations that have developed because people have identified this is an issue in our in our community and I want to partner with people that have also experienced this to make a change. Um, so find those organizations, whether it's a, a NAMI or a Mental Health America NAMI. or a, you know local local chapter of a, a group or just a local, you know, community organization that is not associated with a larger organization. Because um, they actually you know, find, have people. Find those people. They actually have people, I know, that are, like, their go-tos or their actual, um, I can't think of the word, but they actually have their, like, personal legislators or something of this sort. I can't think of the correct term. But they have people that go on the behalf of those those kind of organizations, lobbyists. Oh, right, exactly. I, like, yes. so I, I think I'm thinking of a lobbyist. are going to have lobbyists yeah. or some, <laughs> someone who is at the Capitol, yeah. um, you know, during the legislative session and and has their finger on the pulse of, of what legislators care about these issues, you know, who's championing these issues this session, what are the issues that are going to move forward. These organizations also have organized lobby days or advocacy days where they They bring all all of their members or all of you know their people to the capitol so that legislators don't just hear this issue from one person you know this one day and maybe one other person another day they're hearing from 50 200s you know we went for um, recovery day the same issues the same talking points yep um and that's another you know very common and very, very effective advocacy strategy I agree. Um, so those are my two recommendations. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we actually, SATTC and Opioid Response Network, um, which are grants um, at our MSM, um, we went to National Recovery Day at the Capitol. Super cool experience. Never um, had been in that kind of realm and because Did you find it less intimidating it was because there was so many and you know i always think because i'm not a person in long-term recovery what can i really do as far as like speaking but i mean i can speak from that standpoint of you know the 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 public health professional or being able to be that federal resource to these groups that are um you know less fortunate or you know just don't know where to go so it was really cool let me let me just also point out that you vote for these that's true. Everybody has their and own. So if you prioritize this as an issue and you care about this issue, mm-hmm. you have just the same right. right as anyone else to say, I, I vote for you and I want you to care for it. Yeah. And I want That's a good to, point. To, to take care of it too. That's so a good I, point. I think you have to hold them responsible. For everyone across every spectrum of experience and, and the more life experiences that people bring to the Capitol, uh, the more you know, likely we are to see laws and policies that reflect our diverse communities. I agree. I agree totally. National Recovery Day was awesome this past. Good. It was right before COVID, so yeah. we were able to gather in masses. <laughs> 
right before everything was shut down and we actually got invited by Georgia um, Council on Substance Use to an actual a meeting after recovery day was over um, to really hear like really in a meeting, like a real formal meeting. Um, I was like, oh, we're legit. We're like really in here in a boardroom uh, with a couple of um, speakers. And I think we were their supporters, especially with our federal influence because we are a federal grant under, under SAMHSA. But that was really, really cool. Um, I really appreciated just being there in any type of way. Um, the last final question I have for you, and I know it's probably very elementary, but what is the legislative session? When do you all do this work? Because it seems that you all take vacations or breaks or something where <laughs> this is not a, a year-long thing. So what is the prime time and what is your little kind of, you know, planning strategy time? Sure. So, um couple of ways to approach answering that. So we have Congress, the, the United States Congress, which we elect um, representatives and senators who serve in the United States Congress. Um, they have a different schedule okay. and they do, they are in session and then they take breaks as well. And then they go back to session, but they have a very different schedule than state legislatures. Okay. So, state. so I, always, I, meant state. I always think that people uh, you know, that's one of the first things. Make sure that you're clear on the United States Congress people that you elect, and they are serving us in Washington, D.C., and then your state elected officials, which who are serving you in the state legislature, so at the Capitol, during the legislative session, and then you're also voting for all kinds of different county-level and local officials as well. Gotcha. Um, I will talk about the legislative session related to Georgia, but yep. it is very different for Her, every state. Okay, okay. Yes. So the Georgia legislative session and the Georgia legislature um, is also, you know, every state has their own requirements around who can be an elected official and, and um, when and how old and all of that. But the Georgia legislative session um, starts in January of every year and usually it's it's 40 days, not necessarily consecutive days. Okay. Um, but that is, that is the requirement, a 40-day legislative session. So it usually runs until about March, um, early March, if it's an election year. Sometimes it's shorter. If it's not an election year, sometimes it's longer. Um, we don't have a whole lot of requirements about who can and cannot become a, a legislator in Georgia. But because of the structure of the legislative session, we tend to see people who are self-employed or work in industries where they can take January to March off or only be in their office in their um, you know local district a couple of days a week. Okay. Um, so that, that does you know determine a little bit about who serves in the legislative session. But so after the 40-day legislative session, the we, we have a citizen legislature, so they do have, you know, they go back to their communities, they go back to their um, jobs or industries, um, their, you know, communities, their people. Um, so that is, that is interesting. So if you have an issue in Georgia that you want to um, lobby for and, and see it go through the legislative process, that is going to happen between January and March. But up. the relationship building aspect that I mentioned, Rest that's what needs to happen in, you know, March, April, May, May, the rest of the year up until January, because then you get to know them when they're home in your community. And then when they come back to the Capitol, hopefully you've planted those seeds for 
this is what we need to do um, to improve policy in Georgia during the session. Awesome. Thank you. I, my first introduction, um, I'm a member of United, um, excuse me, Urban League Young Professional um, Leaders of um, of Atlanta. And so that was one of our, um, one of our like, one of our like meetings or something where we walk through like a bill on Capitol Hill. Like we, we walk through oh, yeah. the whole process because sometimes it's like you learn all of that really young and then it's like, okay, what does it really take to be a lobbyist versus a legislative, all of that? It can just really get intimidating, I feel like, for any citizen. So I appreciate just that. I know it's something that is Googleable, but it's also good to hear from someone who definitely has that experience. So I just wanted to ask that. Um, I don't have any further questions for you. I know we like to keep it short for our listeners and to the point. I hope that this has piqued you all's interest when it comes to really understanding um, what parity is, that there are um, advocates legislative that are acts, there's laws that are for mental health and substance use, um, you know, issues, challenges, and where we're going in that scape. So I just wanted to kind of tease us on what's to come and what's out there now, where we're going, improvement state by state. And of course, as always, I will link so everyone can see those report cards, especially in the Southeast regions that this SATTC covers in our eight states. Um, so you all can see how Kentucky lined up with Georgia or Florida lined up with South Carolina or um, any other states in our region. So thank you so much, Megan. I always like to give our guests the last final words, um, a takeaway, a key point for you to just to be able to let our listeners go away with as far as this conversation was. So thank you so much. And I will let you have your last words if you have any. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about some of the research and why policy is such an important um, aspect for people who are experiencing substance use disorders, for people who are treating people with substance use disorders. You know, all of us have a role. We all have an opportunity to um, change policies and make them more supportive of care, treatment, um, and equity. So thank you for this opportunity to share that. Of course, and that's always I think SATTC and MSM Morehouse School of Medicine. That's our, that's our always our goal, especially when it comes to health equity. Um, that's definitely something that we are always striving for. So thank you so much, Megan. And of course, I know COVID may have a strain, but we isolate now to see each other later. So I know I'll see you in person sometime soon. But thank you so much again, and you all. Thank you, and um, stay tuned to our next. Um, uh, episode and I hope to keep giving you all what you all are looking for and listening for um, and just thank you for being a supporter and we will talk to you guys next time thanks for joining us and be sure to check us out on the web at attcnetwork.org forward slash centers forward slash southeast hyphen attc forward slash home we'll see you soon